Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. Joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my colleague, my resident op, Mr. Daly. And we are here to, I don't know if it's so much review the Belgian Grand Prix as commiserate on what was yet again a very predictable outcome. But before we get there, Mark, your beard looks more impressive <laughs> by the week. I just I wish I could grow one. I just don't have that ability. What is going on with the beard? Well, it's a look I always wanted to try out. And much like yourself, Hammy, I never thought I could pull it off. But here we are like a month later, and it's it, it's actually starting to form into something. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Like, I know there's lots of other guys out there that have very, very impressive beards. So this is my attempt at, at, at something. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, I think on that note, we'll pivot. I think that's enough <laughs> of discussing facial hair for one day, but let's pivot. And I, I think you and I have teased a little bit this year at the idea of a perfect season. And it's yes. something that is completely foreign to Formula One. And when I say perfect season, I'm really referring to a single the 1972 team, a constructor. Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins might be the closest <laughs> sports team comp, but we've kind of teased at this yeah. idea that maybe Red Bull runs the table. We are now yep. here. 12 races into the season. We are officially in the, in the summer break. Max Verstappen has won 10 races. Sergio Perez has won two. Nobody else on the grid has won a race. We have 10 races left. Can we now talk about this being the year of that perfect season for Red Bull? Yeah, I, I think it's looking increasingly likely, Mark. I mean, like you say, we, we've got the bulk of the season behind us. It, it's downhill from here. I mean, we're into the summer break now, thank goodness. <laughs> because, you know, again, you know, it was very much a sense of deja vu. And I know that Max took a grid penalty in qualifying, but, you know, it just everything else. And that's why I loved Lewis going in on the last, the penultimate lap to go for the fastest lap. It was an act of defiance just to say to Red Bull, you know, you're not going to like take all the points and offer this weekend. We're taking one. The rest of us are taking one. This is for the other nine teams out here. We're taking at least one point. This is for the rest of us. So, you know, it, it, it's a token thing, but it was it, it was symbolic and I think it was important. But, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot over the course of this th this weekend. And I can't remember. Do we talk about it in the past? It was either this week or the week before where we had that SI article just about how the, the, the ratings now stateside are really starting to sag. And I had this discussion with my, my brother earlier today and our good friend, Victor, some chimed in on, on Twitter today saying, you know, and you know, in, in NASCAR, you literally don't know who's going to win. And India is a lot more competitive. And, and I think here in North America, we, and I don't think it's, it's different anywhere else, but we want to see more competition. And it seems like these kind of like recurring dynasties and, you know, years of dominance in Formula One just seem to be ex you know expected. It doesn't matter if it's it's Red Bull or Mercedes or previous incarnations of Red Bull, McLaren, Ferrari, whoever. It's just like I guess it's almost ingrained, institutionalized into the sport that somebody's going to come along, somebody's going to get it right, and they're going to run the table. Except in this era, it wasn't supposed to happen for a couple of reasons. Number one, the regs were supposed to change that, but then we had the porpoising issue, and we kind of got a watered-down version what was supposed to be the panacea, the cure-all for everything. And then we had the cost cap come in. And then, and I, I think that's where a lot of people have the issue is that this is a team, Red Bull, 
they breached the cost gap. It doesn't matter how they did it or why they did it. It happened. They took a, you know, like what most people felt was like a token penalty and they're still out there crushing it each and every week. And I, I think that's the biggest issue that people are having right now, right? Yeah. So to kind of kind of reflect here on on Max Verstappen and Red Bull's weekend, uh, of course, Max wins the sprint race, a very wet, wild race that was truncated down to 11 laps. Oscar Piastri was the big story of the day coming in a, a very successful P2, although his uh, his Grand Prix race was a, a little less successful. And like you said, Max <laughs> Verstappen took a penalty after qualifying. He did qualify on pole, but he took that penalty, started P6 because he had his fifth gearbox assembly of the year. So he's already burned through four. He's on number five. So he's going to take a grid penalty for every successive replacement from this point on. And we expect that, right? Like when we start to get into the back half of the season, we start to see a lot of the penalties and things like that as these teams have burned through their allocation of individual components. But Max Verstappen today, and there's a couple of other stories I want to get to. I want to talk about Williams. I really want to talk about Lando Norris, but I I think we, we talk about Max Verstappen, we talk about Red Bull and we can kind of pivot away from that story. But Max Verstappen, uh, phenomenal. I think there was a lot of criticism of him today on social media, on on Reddit, on on the Discord server, speaking to the fact that, hey, look, it took him so long to to get to P1 that it took him 15, 16 laps to finally overtake Sergio Perez. But I, I would argue that that is a sign of Max Verstappen maturing, that this is a different type of Max Verstappen. And I think in 21 and 22 and 20, I, I think he probably would have uh, made some, I think his racecraft would have been a little more volatile and a little bit more risky in the early portions of this Grand Prix. But I think the reality is he sits here and he's like, look, the only actual competition I'm going to have for a race win today is Sergio Perez. And ultimately, he got stuck in a DRS train behind Lewis and and behind Charles Leclerc. And as soon as Lewis fell out of DRS range of Charles Leclerc, he bit Lewis, he bit Charles, and then it was just a matter of time before he was going to hunt down hunt down Sergio Perez. And then Sergio Perez on the exact same race strategy, man, like put this into context, lap 15, lap 16, lap 17, Max Verstappen had gone on on lap 14 to get a fresh pair of medium tires. Sergio Perez had gone on a lap 13, fresh pair of medium tires. They're in the exact same tires of the exact same age. And he just storms by Sergio Perez as if he was standing still. And maybe ultimately Sergio realized that wasn't his race. And maybe there have been some pre-race discussions, which is, hey, we're not going to allow the two of you to compete and fight and burn up your tires and potentially make contact. But the reality is, the the speed at which Max Verstappen put a significant delta between the two of them in the end, it was 22 seconds, right? Like he yes. finished 22 yep. seconds up the road from a driver in an identical piece of machinery is just is just startling. And you and I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I, I, I remember last week I was listening to Andrew Benson talk and Andrew Benson was talking about the Hungarian Grand Prix. And he's like, hey, look, you know what? The reality is, you know what? Max doesn't need to compete for a race victory. And maybe this is that race where he's going to he's gonna sit back and collect some points. And we're going to see somebody other than a Red Bull driver collect a Grand Prix victory. And, and that was never going to be the case. He stormed through. He, he was full value for that race win. And then today as well, P6, it was only a matter of time. But I think the fact that it took him 15, 16, 17 laps is just a sign of of uh, his maturity in this sport. Um, I think the outcome for Red Bull is probably exactly what they wanted, right? Which is Max Verstappen wins the Grand Prix. Uh, he gets 25 points. Doesn't get that, that fastest lap point. Uh, of course, Mr. Lewis Hamilton went in on lap 43, lap 44, put on a fresh set of mediums because he didn't have any softs left. And with very little fuel left in that tank, was able to bang out a one minute 47 lap or 47 second lap. But I think the outcome for Sergio starting P2 and finishing P2 is probably the best case scenario for him. And I just wanted to share, and I, I don't know if you saw this quote from from Helmut Marco, and I'm just going to bring it up on my phone real quick. But I felt a little bit bad for Sergio, but I, I think it's probably realistic. Earlier in the weekend, Helmut Marco, and I don't know that any of us, I always refer to him as the director of driver development over at Red Bull, but I'm not sure that that's actually the case. He says, <laughs> he said earlier this weekend before Checo's P2, he said, Checo Perez is woken up from his dream of winning the world championship. Maybe that will help him to concentrate again on delivering the best possible performance. We have a contract with Perez until the end of 2024. He's second in the world championship. 
what need do we have to act? And presumably this was in response to somebody asking about uh, his longevity with this organization. But I think Prez P2, a Max P1, this is the ideal outcome, obviously, for, for Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, apart from that single point for fastest lap, they ran the table again, right? More or less. Well, on Sunday, I mean, uh, during the sprint race was a, a little bit different, of course. But I mean, again, it was almost the the, the perfect uh, weekend for them. And, you know, if you're that that's not really quite the, you know, total wolf Eltery bought as wingman comment. But it kind of really from from Marco, it's it, it's similar in in a such. It really puts Checo in his place. It's like you're you're firmly number two. You know, it's like you know if you think you're going to win the world championship, you're dreaming for because reasons. And I mean, we could list off a bunch. I mean, number one is Max Verstappen is just driving and you know, continues to drive at a ridiculously high level of. Um, of consistency and speed. I mean, he's just, uh, we've been saying this week in, week out, almost year in, year out. I mean, what he's doing is just absolutely incredible. Again, Red Bull extending that uh, consecutive win streak. I mean, they're literally blowing up the record book each and every week. And we talked about on Thursday night that there's still potentially another 14 records that Max could, you know, obliterate and uh, put his name beside by, by the end of the year. And considering <laughs> we've just tipped to pass the halfway mark, I mean, like you say, I mean, it, it's a real definite possibility they could run the table, but it's also a very definite possibility that all those those uh, records that we talked about on Thursday night could literally become Max's as well. So I don't it, know if uh, you you heard that comment and you probably picked up on this this weekend, but Max, yeah. it felt like felt like he was kind of getting into it with his race engineer a little bit this weekend. And yeah, I think that's yeah. not unusual. The two of them have been together since Max first debuted with Red Bull back in 2016. And and I think I think Max is one of those guys that probably needs a race engineer that has a little bit of spine and is willing to push back a, a little bit. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But, yeah. But there was a point during the race where um, I think I'm, I'm just pulling up my notes here. I think it was around lap 33. Max at that point is 11.7 seconds up on Perez. So with 11 laps left, he's already 12 seconds up the road from Perez. He came on the radio and he said to his race engineer, GP, he says, I could also push on and we do another stop, a little bit of pit stop training question mark. And obviously he was alluding to the fact that he wanted the opportunity to go and chase that fastest lap, knowing that if he wasn't going to pit for fresh tires, that was probably going to be out of reach. And you you mentioned as well that, hey, you know, he keeps setting all of these records. Um, I think this year he's very likely going to break his record for race victories in a single season. But there was another there was another record that he tied. And this is a record I didn't even know existed. But prior to uh, prior to today, Fernando Alonso had stood alone with nine race wins from different positions on on the grid. So Fernando Alonso has won from one spot one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, eleven, and fifteen. Those are the grid slot spots he's won a Grand Prix from. Max Verstappen is now tied up with nine different spots. Of course, starting hmm. on P six, he's won from the. Pole position, spot number two on the front row, three, four, six, seven, nine, ten, and fourteen. So an another statistic well, that I didn't would be, even know existed. Yeah. Sorry to jump in there, Hammy, but fourteen would have been last year at Spa, remember? And 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 that's the thing. Like when when I saw that he was taking that grid penalty, and then I'm like, okay, well, great. But remember, like 2022. I mean, he went through like a hot knife through butter through you know the, all the cars in front of him. It was it was insane. I mean, just how he carved through the field that afternoon. I mean, it's just uh, and and today I'm just like, I don't think five cars in front of Max is you know any significant uh, deterrent. You know, I, I mean, it might take him a little bit of time depending on the conditions, and you know, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't doubt for a moment that that he wouldn't find his way up to the front. Even even when Checo was leading the race, I'm just like, and and that's why I think you you really talked about it and described it so nicely that we're seeing this maturing of Max in his racecraft, whereas he just didn't try to like you know burn past Checo or even Lewis for that matter. Like he he picked his moments, you know, he saved the tires, he saved the car, and you know he just uh, you know he waited for the right moment to present itself, knowing. Hey, I, I've got the, the the benefit of knowing this is a 44 lap race. I've got the best car. I got the best engine. I'm just going to let the opportunities unfold in front of me. I'm not going to stress myself out. I'm not going to endanger the car. And you know, I'll just uh, you know take take it easy. You know, Max is it, it's incredible. 
Max's mean race pace today was 151 um, and a quarter. Sergio Perez was 151.857. So there was about six tenths of a second between the two of them, which wow. is remarkable. Um, then I think there was three tenths between Perez and Leclerc. And Leclerc and Hamilton, their race pace was off by I think one tenth of a second, if if even that. But just again, that that delta between the two of them. And uh, I recorded a podcast yesterday with Charbel Saloom talking about uh, Formula One power units, and we'll drop this episode later in the seat in the week but he's also strongly of the opinion that put aerodynamics aside put aside mechanical grip put aside aerodynamic downforce put aside the fact that they're able to create a really balanced very slippery car for tracks like this he just doesn't believe for a second that max is even beginning to uncork the capabilities of that that honda power unit and it's probably a good thing Agree. for the yeah. sake of the, yeah. the rest of the yeah. grid but i kind of posit this back to you and we'll talk about this because you know are obviously going to do a mid-season a report card show we're going to do a pre kind of a preview of the back half of the season we'll talk a lot about about this but we're sitting here midway through 23 max dominated red bull dominated in 22 uh we're talking now about the potential for the perfect quote unquote the perfect season in 23 i don't see any reason at this point why anything will be fundamentally different in 24, 25. The cost cap is going to bite a little bit. Um, some of the regulations are going to bite a little bit. But where are you? And I think it's okay to say this because I think we've got a really great kind of relationship with our audience. And I don't think we're going to come on here being harbingers of doom. But do you have optimism for the back half of the season? Are you excited? Because I shared with you this morning that I wasn't super excited to sit down and watch the Grand Prix just because the outcome was so so unabashedly decided even before the race started. Yeah, and 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 that's where I worry myself because I I, I found myself very much in the same place this morning. Like it it almost felt like an obligation to sit down and watch the race because you know I just I I just not really getting a lot of enjoyment out of it at the moment. And 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 again, I I want to give all the credit to Max. I want to give all the credit to Honda. All the credit to Red Bull. What they've done is amazing. Unfortunately for the spectacle, you know the 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 excitement and and you know just. The fact that it it seems predestined, it's like Groundhog Day over and over and over again, is um, it, it's it's problematic, and I'm starting to worry now that um, you know it very much like you say. I mean, if they run the table the rest of the year, even if they don't win every race, even if they win all but one or maybe even two, I mean, it's still a dominant dominant season. And considering that they were miles ahead of well. Maybe not miles ahead of everyone last year, but you know, it, it seems like the gap isn't going to close significantly anytime soon. And, and and it's funny too because when you you know, when you take them out of it, when you take Max and Red Bull out of it, it would actually be a pretty exciting championship when you see what else is going on with racing up and down the grid however you know when you see something like Esteban Ocon and, and Alex Albon for example I'm just going to pick on them just pull a couple names you know battling for P13 and P12 I mean who really cares you know I, I want to see Lewis and Max going at it I want to see Lando and Charles whoever it is I want to see the like the the, the big dogs going for the the other you know, the race victories and everything like that and and all the the exciting things because I mean <clears throat> Spa is one of those tracks, right? And, and 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 fortunately, even though we had a lot of like you know crazy, insane weather, that we still had a lot of safe racing because you know as much as I love Spa, you know the 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 history we've seen there in recent years, I have some you know let's just say some serious reservations about going there. That you know e even racing in there under optimal conditions in, in certain part of this track is starting to seem you know pretty shaky, right? But, uh, you know, that being said, I mean, we saw some wonderful moments like uh, during the, the the sprint. I mean, Oscar Piastri, I mean, he's just like, OK, I get it, Oscar. I see now why you, uh, you know, pretty much you, you, you distance yourself like pretty much instantaneously away from Alpine last year. I get it. You know, give this guy a good car and things are going to happen. And, you know, th that lineup of like Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris. At McLaren, I'm just like, wow, if these guys got a really super competitive car, this is going to be an exciting team, an exciting duo. And we've seen some some hints of that. I mean, with Lando, two podiums, the Oscar had a great weekend up until the you know, lap one, <laughs> T1 on Sunday afternoon. But I, yeah, I mean, just to kind of like circle back to the beginning, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the, you know, the spectacle and the competitiveness just moving forward 
in in the medium term, not just the, the rest of the year, Mark. Daily, uh, I'll leave before we take a break. Uh, I'll You're going to leave. No, 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 <laughs> don't no, leave, no. Don't leave. I, I'm not. I'm not that emotionally detached from the championship. Uh, but yet. I'll leave the listeners with a couple of thoughts before we jump to sure. a break. And when we get back, I'd love if you could run us through the final race classification. Sure. But a couple of things. One, Red Bull broke another trophy this race weekend during the post race celebration. Yes. So if you didn't see that, it is widely distributed on social media. Um, and another statistic, and I apologize, I can't credit this to any specific person because I can't remember if I found on a Discord server or on a Reddit. But since the beginning of 2021, Max Verstappen has led 1,835 Formula One Grand Prix race laps. The rest of the field, and of course, this is inclusive of 2021, when Lewis put in a sterling performance himself, the rest of the field has led 1,480 laps. So on that, let's take a quick break, give everyone a breather, and come back, and we'll pick up with the race classification. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One, Mr. Daly. I'm going to kick it over to you because we're 20 minutes into the show and we haven't even taken the listeners through the race classification. Okay, well, let's do that right now. Winning today at uh, the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa-Francorchamps, Max Verstappen leading home his teammate, Sergio Perez, who came second. Charles Leclerc getting back onto the podium. I almost feel like it was almost anonymously that uh, Charles did that. But hey, good I for just him. add on that as well. So Charles, I think, loves sprint weekends, three sprint weekends so far, three times on the front row, three podiums in the Grand Prix. So Charles Leclerc loves sprint weekends. I just wanted to put that out there. Absolutely. Great, great observation, Mark. Then we had Lewis Hamilton in fourth, Fernando Alonso in uh, fifth position, George Russell sixth, Lando Norris. That was a well-earned P7 for Lando. Esteban Alcon in P8, Lance Stroll P9, and Yuki Tsunoda P10. So let's just go over to the sprint. Uh, Max winning the sprint race on Saturday, six and a half seconds ahead of Oscar Piastri. Pierre Gasly coming home third. Uh, Carlos Sainz P4, Charles Leclerc P5, Lando Norris P6, Lewis Hamilton, and George Russell rounded out p7 and eight so mark um let's quickly just go over the standings uh on the driver's side and then we'll get into the next story max verstappen 314 points sergio perez 189 points fernando alonso 148 sorry 149 points only a single point ahead of lewis hamilton in the driver's championship Uh, now lewis obviously has 148 charles leclerc has 99 points as does george russell and carlos Sainz, who is p7 in the championship is on 92 so down the down the couple of rungs on the ladder is kind of kind of tight where it's not tight in the standings is in the constructors red bull after 12 races 503 points mercedes 247 aston martin 196 ferrari 191 and mclaren has now dipped into or jumped into double triple digits pardon me they now have 103 points Daily, I, I just I noticed this as you were speaking. 
Right now, Mercedes sits 256 points behind Red Bull. They are more points behind Red Bull than points they've earned in the championship. (laughs) But it does lead me to another thought, which I think segues perfectly into some of our subsequent conversation. You alluded to this earlier. If you you look at the championship in isolation of Red Bull, take take Red Bull off the championship. You've got Mercedes sitting at 247, Aston Martin at 196, Ferrari at 191. And of course, McLaren is surging. Again, P7 today, not a great outcome for Oscar because he got clipped. I don't know if he got clipped. There was a racing incident at turn one involving Carlos Sainz, and they both ultimately didn't finish the race. Uh, But I think aside from that, you've got four teams that are actually pretty interesting. And I wanted to touch on to start with Lando Norris, because I I think you made a really great observation about his P7 finish. And obviously, on the back of a couple of podium finishes, um, I think somebody might look at that and say, hey, a P7 of the race classification, that's not a great result. But let me tell you why that is a phenomenal result for for Mr. Lando Norris. So Mr. Lando Norris, like a lot of the field today, ran a two uh, two stop strategy. He started on the medium, went to the soft, and then he went on to uh, sorry he started he started on the medium, went hard, and then he went onto the soft, which I think is probably the single best strategic move I've seen from McLaren so far this year, and I'll, I'll kind of explain why. I think McLaren were facing an uphill battle here this weekend, not just because there's 100 meters of elevation change on this track, <laughs> but ultimately they have a very aerodynamically problematic car that creates a lot of drag and is not remotely slippery in a straight line. And you could see that early in the race. You saw that every single time they were in sector one, that Lando Norris was getting eaten alive by the rest of the competition in the field. But they did something that was absolutely ingenious. The rain starts falling 15, 16, 17 laps into the race. And I think the debate at that point became, and I'm in all these chat groups and on the Discord servers and all this kind of stuff, the chat became, who's going to come in and go on interest first? Because at one point, you can see that shot where Christian Horner reaches out behind him and there's a steady yes. stream of water coming yep. down. And we think, here we go again. It's going to be wet like it was in this qualifying. It's going to be rent like it was in the sprint. McLaren pivots completely. And you know what McLaren did? McLaren put Lando Norris on softs, a brand new, fresh set of soft tires. And it was genius because they're sitting in the situation where they cannot generate any top line speed. And in the straights, they were on average, if you quantify it over the lap, kind of a, the length of a lap, they were six tenths, seven tenths behind the rest of the field. However, they put them onto these fresh tires and suddenly in sector two, that car comes alive. It absolutely came alive. And in the course of like 10 laps, he manages to overtake half the field. Now, he doesn't do it in the straights, in the sector one, but in sector two, that car absolutely came alive. And it overcame so many of the drag-induced problems that that car was having all weekend. Now, I think there was a lot of people that said, hey, look, the biggest problem they had this weekend was they brought a really draggy rear wing. They should have brought something that's a little bit more low downforce. Zach Brown, I think a lot of the McLaren team have kind of commented on that, that, hey, look, you know what? Our development has been focused on other parts of the car. As I understand it, they do have a different low downforce wing, which absolutely would have aided them in those huge straights and sector one, but that low downforce wing they have is horribly, horribly aerodynamically inefficient, deficient in, in high downforce sections. So in sector two, so they could have put on this lower downforce wing, could have made up a little bit of top line speed, but they would have gotten crushed in the corners. So they had this car this weekend that was a little bit draggy and it was killing them in the straights. But when you suddenly put Lando Norris onto those soft tires, when it started raining, that car came alive. And for the course of a couple of laps, he was three to five seconds faster than every single other car on the track. He was putting in lap speeds that nobody, nobody could touch. He was doing 151. 151, 152, 151, and he was clocking in these speeds. So I, I think that was a sterling performance from him. Phenomenal racecraft, uh, phenomenal strategy from Woking when that call came in, fundamentally against the grain of everyone else. And I think the other thing that really benefited Lando, and I want to talk a little bit about Albon and Williams, because I think people got really excited about seeing that Williams car on a high speed power circuit, because we all know how slippery it is. Uh, The other thing that really benefited them was when you have a really draggy car, that's not particularly low downforce, which is a little bit higher downforce, it tends to aid in the degradation of those tires. So 
you know, when you put your driver onto soft tires with 17 laps left or with 17 laps into the race, and he's basically got to run another 27 laps. Like, I think the thought at that point is, well, you know, suddenly this is going to become a three stopper because he's not going to make it to the end of the race on, on a soft. And he did. And I think one of the things that really benefited him was the fact that this is a particularly draggy car and it was a particularly high downforce configuration. And as a result, they didn't suffer as much tire degradation as some of these lower downforce cars like the Williams did, which we'll speak to in a couple of minutes. So again, not a podium finish, uh, but I think this was a sterling result for Lando Norris and a huge credit to him for his racecraft today in conditions that were certainly not favorable to that car, my friend. But just kind of circling back to your comment that putting aside Red Bull, there's still some interesting stuff happening here. And I think McLaren, again, surging, not a podium finish, but they're over 100 points. They're over the century point mark right now. They're not going to catch Ferrari in all likelihood, but they are going to get much closer as the season progresses. Your thoughts on what you saw beyond Red Bull and maybe your thoughts on Lando Normus's performance today. I don't really have anything more to add uh, about Lando. Like uh, I, I think you really nicely summed it up, and I, I think that's one of the things I love about Formula One is as much as I love the cars and the technology and everything that goes into it. It's it, it just sometimes it's just really exciting to see a team and a driver just make the right call, and w- when it when it works out, and and this is an extreme example when when he's lapping like three to five seconds like faster because it's funny because you mentioned you know Christian Horner like turning around got his hand out to you know like seeing how hard it's raining. I was just like, oh gosh, here we go again. We're we're in for like the next torrential downpour, which would would, would have turned the race upside down and could have made it uh, interesting. But you know, just uh, you know, a lot of kudos to, uh, to to Lando and McLaren for 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 making the right call. But I just uh, you know. Just talking about the other, let's call them the top five. I mean, for the, the number of years, it's been the big three, right? McLaren, or sorry, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull. And, you know, they've kind of like ebbed and flowed here. And well, you know, well, I guess they all have a from time to time. But like we say now that we, we've got Mercedes and Aston Martin, you know, well, Mercedes has opened up that gap, uh, you know, quite significantly now. It's over 50 points between themselves and Aston Martin and then Ferrari and McLaren. But if you just take, Red Bull out of the equation for this year. Okay, maybe like in the first couple of races, you know, like Fernando has built up a nice lead in the championship, but then he's kind of like, you know, he's regressed where the others have kind of surged over the past uh, several races. I mean, McLaren quite dramatically, McLaren or sorry, uh, Mercedes, they've made gains as well, maybe not huge ones. Ferrari's made some modest gains. So I think that, you know, and again, I I don't want to be like, you know, mistaken for, you know, um, hating on Red Bull and and, and all that. I'm just trying to emphasize that, you know, all what's happening a little bit further down the field. And I, I think that we would... In, in that world without uh, Red Bull in the championship right now, that we, we would have like a pretty close, exciting championship. I mean, that's not reality, but there is a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of exciting racing going up and down the field as well. I just, uh, you know, I just want to talk just a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the tires here, because, you know, there were some comments about like the wet tires of Mario Asola, the, the, the head uh, of a uh, motorsport over at Pirelli. Uh, he said, and this is a uh, quoted, I'm uh, quoting from an article by Matt Q over motorsport.com. Asola said uh, when uh, regarding or talking about the, the the wet tires, quote, I believe that we have to, first of all, divide two problems. One is the performance of the wet. One is the visibility of mid-driver uh, complaints. Performance-wise, when we were developing the tires, we found a result in terms of performance that was much, much better, five seconds per lap, than the old wet tire. It's not enough, maybe, but we did a step. The warm-up was not an issue. All the teams voted to introduce the new wets uh, during the season because they had uh, the data from our test. Maybe this uh, performance is still not enough to generate the right crossover with intermediates. Are they safety car tires? We discussed this many times about visibility. It is an issue and clearly the FIA together with some teams are working around some devices that can improve visibility in order to reduce the spray that is coming from the tires and the diffuser. If the idea is to continue to look for a device that is able to reduce the spray and therefore give drivers the possibility to run in full wet conditions, we have to keep the two products enters in full wets. But if the full wet tire is used only behind the safety car i agree with drivers that at the moment it is a useless tire so we have to decide which is the direction that we want to take uh for the future in order to develop the product that is needed for formula one end quote so there you go that is a kind of an interesting uh, admission from 
from Mario Sola over at uh, Pirelli. Because, I mean, we don't see the full wet tires very, very often. And even uh, today, this afternoon, I, I guess it really didn't get to the point, even though at one moment when it seemed like it was raining fairly hard in pit lane, that that the that that enters even really didn't become a serious option for the the amounts and the length of the rain but you know certainly just going back to lando it was it, it was pretty cool to see him slice his way through the field like that because uh it, it was shaping up to be a very tough looking afternoon for mercedes or sorry uh, for mclaren up until that point what with the uh, piastri uh, getting knocked out on the first lap and you know when i saw that although it was completely different between uh you know lando or sorry uh piastri and science this afternoon i very much had like reminiscent vibes of uh, nico rosberg and lewis and uh, going into the uh the chicane there at the end of the 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 the, the, uh, the camel straight uh, a number of years ago where the uh uh nico sliced lewis's rear tire and then lewis had to putter around half a lap at spa and that basically ruined his afternoon but poor old uh, oscar didn't even make it that uh, far you know it was just, uh, just too much uh, damage on his car but um uh, yeah. On Anyways, that, back to you, yeah, Mark. Yeah, no, on yeah. that note, I think that's the perfect segue. Uh, Frederick Vasseur post-race was kind of questioned about that exact incident at, uh, at turn one. And, and I think he just kind of brushed it off as a, it was a, it was a racing incident and not much yeah. more to it yeah. than that. And and I think ultimately, I, if we want to assign blame, you maybe, maybe you look at Oscar Piastri. That's a, it's a challenging corner. It's one of the most challenging corners in, in the, in the championship. You know what? You approach it. Uh, you're on cold tires. You typically have a lower down force set up so you don't get a lot of drag which makes braking a little bit more difficult and I think he got a little bit opportunistic and he clipped signs and ultimately his race was over and so was Carlos Sainz but Frederick Vasseur uh, spoke today and he said that look you know we were hoping to keep Carlos Sainz out long enough in anticipation of a red flag and presumably under red flag conditions would have been able to kind of repair the car a little bit throw some duct tape on that side pod to close it up uh, but ultimately they weren't able to do that so it wasn't the outcome that they wanted there but he did say that they were very satisfied this weekend with the race pace that they've seen. And uh, this is kind of a roller coaster story that, hey, Ferrari's got pace. Where did the pace go? Ferrari's got pace. Where did the pace go? But I think that they're probably very, very happy with this with this outcome. Obviously, Charles managed to start on pole because of that Max Verstappen penalty that we alluded to earlier. No one expected him to win this race, but I think a P3 position, a P3 podium, his third podium of the season is probably something that he's very, very happy with. And I think my other takeaway from Frederick Vasseur today is he talked about the fact that, hey, look, there's a lot of criticism directed towards our team regarding strategy. But he's like, at the end of the day, and I thought this was really interesting, strategy is ultimately totally irrelevant if you don't have pace. Like you're not in the race unless you have pace. And it sounds like they feel really good about where that car is. And I think what we saw this weekend, again, it was only kind of brief glimpses from Carlos Sainz at the beginning of the race, but I think what they saw from Charles Leclerc uh, was a car that's probably going to perform exceptionally well at Monza, and of course, we know how they'll be received there, their home race. Um, it should be a car that performs exceptionally well in Japan as well, but it looks really good. The other takeaway, too, is this was actually Carlos Sainz first retirement of the season, which is something that I hadn't realized. And I think if you look back at last year, I think we were very critical of some of the unforced errors and retirements that he's, he'd accrued. Uh, but despite all the challenges that maybe Ferrari's had this year and the fact that they're kind of sitting farther back in the championship P4 than I think where they would want to be, uh, I think... Carlos Sainz been uh, the textbook definition of reliable. And I think that's something he needs to continue to demonstrate because of course he wants that contract extension. He wants the long-term um, peace of mind that he's going to have a seat there. Um, the other one I want to kind of pivot this one over to you is just regarding Aston Martin. And of course, this is a team you and I are probably more excited about than any other, just because we love the British racing green and we love what Lawrence Stroll has done, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they had this amazing run this year. Uh, at one point, Mr. Fernando Alonso had scored six podiums in eight races and they'd effectively fallen apart. And a little earlier this week, Mike Crack, their team principal, had made some interesting comments about the fact that, and these are my words, not his, but they've made subtractions by additions, meaning that when a team brings upgrades to the car, the expectation is that that's going to improve the performance of the car. And they feel that the upgrades that they've been bringing throughout the course of the season have actually damaged the performance of the car. And if you look at the early part of the season, if you go back to Bahrain, the thing that we were all most excited about was the car seemed to generate a ridiculous amount of aerodynamic and mechanical grip in corners. It was absolutely on rails and it was for 
every part as good as a Red Bull in the corner, and that's disappeared. And I think the assumption here is that, hey, a lot of this might now be self-enforced because the upgrades that we brought aren't working as expected. So having said all of that, Fernando Alonso today, P5 after starting P9. Lance Stroll finishes P9, so he's in the points after starting P10. Probably a pretty good result for Aston Martin, all things considered, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it, it's interesting when you're talking about that. I, I'm kind of flashing back here to either Spain or to Montreal, and and you know, just at, at that, and you know, like in that transition period after you know Nando ran off all those podium finishes, and he had one that wasn't you know quite what they were expecting. He kind of like shrugged it off. He's like, "Oh yeah, we got some upgrades coming. Everything's going to be fine." And they haven't been fine for the reasons that uh, that you just uh, mentioned. But that is, it, it's interesting, right? Because you don't often hear like a team principal like like crack coming out and admitting as such right i think that that that's quite the you know i wouldn't say airing of dirty laundry but i think that's uh, you know a bit of a refreshing comment uh, you know for 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 mike crack to come out and say hey you know what we didn't get it right we thought uh, that these upgrades that we we're going to be putting on the cars were going to be good for us but uh, they've actually pushed us back uh, further than where we were because i mean like you say i mean that that car was you know generating an insane amount of grip i mean it was still a little bit draggy and straight line speed but you know like through the corners it uh, it was a very very quick car and it's it it's been a little bit frustrating to watch because this is a team that that you and i is it's sort of become like the the unofficial in-house team here for all those different reasons that uh, that you just mentioned so i'd say a p5 uh, today i mean obviously it did you know, Fernando was getting pretty used to stepping up on the podium there for, through the first half dozen races of their, their the first eight uh, season or races of the season. So, yeah, not a podium, but certainly in a step in the right uh, direction, especially around a power circuit like Spa. And, uh, you know, you talked about especially going down the Kemmel Strait there and how Lando looked like at times he was going backwards that, you know, w- with all the issues that Aston Martin have had, especially around a tra- circuit like Spa, I think I think this is a win. And to get a double points finish where points and, you know, good finishes have been a little bit, uh, you know, to be desired over the past six, eight weeks or whatever it's been. I think that's that's good on them. Daily, let's take one more break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about Alexander Albon and the Williams team. Seems a little unusual to be talking about a driver that finished P14 in the Grand Prix. But uh, <laughs> keep, that, keep that thought in mind, because as soon as we get back, I'll explain why. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, and joining me as always, my resident neighborhood op, Mr. Mark Daly. And before the break, I teased that I wanted to speak a little bit about Alexander Albon. And if you've been listening to the show recently, we've been talking a lot about high downforce versus low downforce and about what tracks each in particular team or car would be expected to perform well at. And we talked a lot about the fact that if nothing else, the Williams car for all of its problems, and there are many, it is effectively an indebted developing country with all the problems. And I'm laughing because Daly's got, what is that? Is that a FW? This is it. This is a FW sixteen. It's like a like 14. I guess this would be yeah. It's a, it's a it's a, I'm not even sure. It's like a, about the size of a Hot Wheels. Uh, you know what would this be like one. What, what scale would this be? Anyways, it was just, it was funny because, you know, we were talking before the break, how, you know, Aston Martin has kind of been like the in-house team that we've been pulling for for the last couple of years. But I mean, you and I go back so far, like, you know, 80s, like back to 80s our, like 90s, our, baby. the 80s. And, 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 and Williams was was a team that was so powerful in this FW16, had Renault engine in it, and they were absolutely dominant in these years. And that's, you know, after like Nigel Mansell won his championship back in 92 with the, and, and that was with the active suspension the car that could you know that was that, that was like space age for its time it was it was crazy but that's why you know i, I think 
you know, when we we're going to talk about Alex Alba and that we, we put a little bit of context into it. It's just like, okay, maybe there's sentimental value with it, uh, you know, for, for both uh, you and I, but this is a team that, you know, for, for, for those people that, that are newer to formula one, all they've known is Williams at the back of the grid, but you know, back it up even five, six, seven years. I mean, this was a top five team. You had like Valtteri Bottas there. You had Felipe Massa. You know, they, they were still banging out, uh, you know, the occasional podium here or there. And they, they were regular in, in the points and things like that. So it, it seems a little bit kind of funny to get like a little bit kind of jacked up and excited about Alex Albon and, and a P14. But I mean, you got to kind of take the body of work that Alex Alex has done the the over the course of the year and the fact that in this in a straight line this Williams is pretty darn quick pretty slippery and and, and that's that that's fun yeah, that's if, exciting if you look at the trap speeds today um the Williams was as much as 10 to 20 kilometers an hour faster than the rest of the field. Um, and like I was saying before, your beautiful soliloquy that went on for about 47 minutes. Um, I jo- <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but before your beautiful soliloquy, I was alluding to the fact that, yeah, this is, if nothing else, it's a very slippery car, which means that it's really great in a low downforce situation because it doesn't create a lot of drag. So when that driver gets on the throttle, it just powers away. There's nothing holding it back. The problem this weekend was that there was a lot of wet sessions. And I think, and Sam Collins said it best. He said, Williams this weekend was a quote unquote victim of circumstance, meaning that had they been able to qualify better in dry conditions, which would have been a probability if we'd been able to qualify in dry conditions, um, they probably would have had a better race outcome. But the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me this weekend is one, the car looks very good in kind of dry conditions on a slippery power track. And even Alexander Albon suggested that, hey, uh, we would expect to see the same thing at Monza in Japan later this year because those are the last two major power tracks we're going to see on the calendar. But where Albon really got killed this weekend was race strategy. So where I give McLaren a ton of praise and recognition for their beautiful strategy for putting Lando onto those softs and letting him run the last 27 laps on them, the Albon strategy was a little bit different. So he started on fresh softs, um, as did his teammate. And at lap seven and nine, respectively, they brought them in and put them on mediums. And for the next 16 laps, Albon was sliding all over the place on those on those tires. Like he was fine in the straights, but he was getting absolutely slaughtered in sex sector two as soon as they get into that that higher down four section of tight speedy turns. And they 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 seem to acknowledge the issue, uh Williams th- that being, they seem to acknowledge that issue. And on lap 23, they brought him in and they put him on another set of mediums. So the exact set of tires that was killing him. Through the through a second stint, they replicated it by putting him back onto the same tires. And again, it was another fresh set of mediums. And it was only on lap 33 where they seemed to finally acknowledge the error of their ways and they brought him in and put him on softs again. But ultimately, they should have put him on softs on lap 23 and let him finish the last 21 laps on the soft tire. But again, I think the good thing here is the car is very slippery, so it's quick in a straight line. It was terrible in sector two. It couldn't make up any ground. Everyone was passing it, and he was having a lot of trouble getting heat and performance out of those medium tires. And then the team just seemed to double down by putting him onto medium tires again. So ultimately, there were some bad strategy decisions around tires in this team. He ultimately had a three-stop race, which isn't ideal. Um, and that was necessitated by the fact that they made a mistake twice. And ultimately, they were going to have to do two different compounds, but they should have recognized sooner that that medium tire wasn't working for him and brought him in and put him on a soft tire because he could have gone 20, 22, 25, 27 laps. Now, all of that to say, um, when you're in a super low downforce car, tire degradation is a bigger problem. And I think that's one of the problems that I think Alex had today was one, he couldn't get enough heat into the tires when he needed it. He was suffering degradation because they were overheating at other times on the track. And because he had a super low downforce aerodynamic setup, um, the tires were getting chewed up. But the reality is they should have put them on softs earlier. But again, Post-race, he talked about the fact that, hey, you know what? This weekend could have been so much more. It could have been more if they'd qualified better. It could have been better if they'd had a different tire strategy. Uh, But ultimately, I think they're looking forward to Monza because Monza's a track that, like this one, has some really high-powered, high-speed sections, but it also doesn't have the the high-downforce 
twisty sections like like Belgium does in sector two. So I think that their best results of the year should be Monza, but I think that they are going to be critically stewing over and pouring over all of the data from this weekend and trying to learn from it as much as possible. Because I think if Williams has any race on the calendar circle this year, it's going to be Monza. And of course, Monza's where Nick DeVries made hay last year with his P10 stepping into that Williams as a backup driver, ultimately got him a, a short-term ride in Formula One. But I think that's the race they're going to be looking for. But I think Williams needs to be disappointed with with this weekend. Obviously, uh, qualifying in those conditions was a challenge that it would have been for anybody. The probability of challenge of qualifying farther up the grid would have been a likelihood that it had been drier. Um, and then ultimately, the race outcome wasn't great as well. And I think part of that is because tire management was such a problem. They should have put them on the soft sooner. They should have kept them on the softs longer. But it was great to see him overtaking. And early in the race, it was really fun to see Alex Albon flying by flying by other drivers, even if they just overtook him again in sector two, it was, it was kind of cool to see. But yeah, I, I don't think people expected a 25-minute Williams segment today, but you got it. Everyone got a Williams you got segment. It. Well, you know, we're, we're going to go for a couple more minutes on Williams at least because... You know, like we were talking earlier in the the, the show, right? We, you got an alpha type personality like Max Verstappen needs like an alpha type, uh, you know, personality on the pit wall in his en- like in his engineer. So you know, they they just kind of balance each other off, right? I think that works, but they need that kind of person, I think, to run Williams. And you have a good character in in James Voles, the new team principal that came in during the mid-season or the off-season after the uh, you know, departure of uh, Yasta Capito. And the thing is with James, I mean, he was with the Mercedes during those glory years, all those um, consecutive championships and the drivers and the constructors, etc. And then he goes to uh, Williams, which is this you know historic team that has a state-of-the-art facility for 2003 <laughs> and, and you know like sure that's why you know they, they were still like maybe a top five team in the mid-teens but here we are almost a decade later and you know this is this is a team that it's it's fallen on hard times and they've struggled to regain that footing and, and we've talked about it before just that the you know the, the factory facilities need to be brought up to date and i you know it was funny because we were talking about that just the the um the um you know the call that they made to you know, bring Alex in and put him back out on the same set of tire or type of tires that weren't working for him to begin with. It's just like that seems like a mistake that shouldn't happen. You know, it's just like that that needs. You know, that seems to me that that needs a, a team that needs some more guidance. And I think that Vols is that 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 kind of person to do it. And then the other thing that popped into my mind was that admission from James Foles a couple of months ago saying when it came to terms of upgrades, it's like, oh yeah, we can give you widget X. It's going to take us three years when Vols is like, no, we don't need that in three years. We need that in three weeks. <laughs> you know, just like, wow, like th- this is a team that really needs to be pulled into the modern era ASAP. And I mean, I know there's a ton of things that need to happen. And, and, and I'm not suggesting that it's not for lack of trying, but just institutionally in terms of infrastructure and and just the the culture things need to change and and i think that uh, you know vols seems to be the right kind of person to be taking on that team principal job and and i think that's why we're starting to see some of these things that we're seeing with alex albon and and, and we've seen some hints of some, some promise there even though you know like you say we're, we're getting kind of jacked up about a p14 but there were those, uh, you know, those details in there that were worth uh, discussing, uh, discussing, not discussing, discussing and pulling apart and, and, and uh, drilling down on a little bit deeper. Daily, a couple of other points I want to touch on before we uh, shut off the nights, shut off the nights, shut off the lights, close the curtains, lock the <laughs> safe, whatever we do at the end of the night here. Um, obviously, a, a really, and we're going to, I wanted to save this for our Thursday show because we've got a ton of great topics to get into, but obviously a super bittersweet uh, weekend for Al. Alpine, uh, Esteban Ocon has a phenomenal day. He finishes P8, cashes in some points. Pierre Gasly, not so fortunate, finishes P11, moves up a spot from his qualifying grid slot. Um, Otmar, post-race, of course, in the oddest scenario ever, he's fired prior to the beginning of the weekend, is told he has to 
retain his seat and his responsibilities for the race weekend. And then he exits, <laughs> he exits stage left. He says this weekend, and I quote, you can't get nine women pregnant and hope for a baby in a month. Of course, alluding to the fact that just 18 months ago, uh, he had been promised a 100 race plan and then was promptly terminated after 34 races. Uh, Bruno Famine, Alpine VP of motorsport says, we were not on the same line on the timeline to recover the level of performance we are aiming for and mutually we agreed to split ways so lots more to come on Alpine I know you and I are dying to talk about it this coming weekend but yep. obviously a bitter bittersweet weekend for for that team and then the other one I want to touch on real quick is uh, our friends over at Alpha Tauri uh, Yuki finished P10 in the points again fantastic Ricardo P16 um, Yuki post race had some really great things to say about Pierre Gasly and how much he helped his development last year uh, he was very excited that he had the opportunity to overtake his former teammate during a Formula One Grand Prix. And I think it was probably extra special because it was for that final point in the race classification. Uh, Ricardo P16, I think there's some really great things that he can build on uh, from this weekend. But my friend, I think those are the kind of the last two big things for me. Anything, any other observations for you this this race weekend? No, I, I think we've pretty much uh, covered everything that that, that we could. Um, I just wanted to uh, throw this out uh, quickly. Just um, now that we've seen this new format for for the sprint weekends with the shootout, and I like how they've sorted out. Okay, whoever you know, how qualifying goes on Friday, who gets the historic pole, and all those things like that. I like the format, but I was just thinking about it. Like, how could you spice it up now that that we've got a format that works? We we've seen a couple of iterations over the uh, the, the years. We've seen this format now for a little while. It's, it's working for me. And I couldn't help but think that, you know, if we had like um, sprint weekends at other tracks that had like alternative uh, configurations, say Sahir, the, the outer ring that we saw, remember in 2020, we went there twice at the beginning of the season, the end of the season, the end of the season, we did the outer ring. It was like that sub one minute, uh, you know, go-kart track. It was super fast. It was super exciting. You know, I couldn't help but wondering if uh, if we had like a track that uh, we go to a circuit that has alternative layers layouts and i know there's a lot that kind of goes into it so maybe just logistically it isn't feasible but wouldn't that be fun right you go have the sprint race for example in bahrain do the outer circuit at uh, sahir then you have the um you know the the grand prix on the traditional uh, layout for the for for the race on sunday i don't know it was just something that kind of popped into my head that i was just kind of having a little bit of fun with over the weekend just kind of thinking oh what if yeah i'm not going to burst your bubble i i love the idea i think the fia would probably have an aneurysm or a heart attack trying to homologate <laughs> Probably, two tracks right. at the same site for the same weekend. But, uh, well, but it's, it's, it's certainly a cool concept. It, yeah. It's certainly a cool concept. Yeah. Although maybe alternatively, Bahrain can alternate between track configurations every second year. Hey, we want to see the outer ring yep. this year. We want to see uh, the other configuration uh, the other year. Uh, again, we I don't even know if we touched on this. Lewis Hamilton, P4, qualified P3, um, obviously slides a spot because Max Verstappen manages to surge up the grid. Um, I, I don't think I don't think he was in any position to to battle with Max. Um, he was keeping Max behind him for quite a while because he had DRS behind Leclerc, so he had some decent pace. As soon as that DRS was broken, he was just a sitting duck for for Max. And I think Lewis knows better that that wasn't his race, and he wasn't going to be able to keep him behind him. But I think Lewis finishing P four is probably a, a positive outcome. Uh, George Russell as well, very quiet, didn't get a ton of screen time today. Um, he moves up to P six from P eight, um, and I think. The two combined performance of the Mercedes drivers, um, helping to build on that lead, that cushion that they're putting in front of them, or putting in front of Aston Martin, because I think at one point this year, it seemed really obvious that maybe Aston Martin was going to finish P2, despite Lance's really soft performances. But I think at this point, it's pretty clear that Mercedes is, is P2, and, and that's effectively locked in. But a quiet weekend for, for Lewis in the Grand Prix, of course, there was a lot of controversy about Lewis and Perez during the sprint race, and I don't know that we want to get into that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought, you know, just really briefly, I thought it was a little bit harsh. I, I, I could see, like, I read the logic behind it, but I, I thought that um, I, I thought it was a I thought it was a racing incident. Uh, you know, it could have gone either way. I know that uh, that Checo kind of suffered uh, because of it, but I don't know. It, it you know, we, we want to see these drivers, and we were all like, you know, like begging to see closer, harder racing. And and that's what I thought. I mean, Checo wasn't giving an inch. Lewis wasn't giving an inch either. And I thought, it, you know, if if there was like, if you want to like sort of like 
throw out like who was more to blame for that incident than the other. I think it's like 51% Lewis, 49% Checo. I mean, to me, I, I, I thought it was just good hard racing that that's all it was, you know, like, you know, yeah, you know, we, we could get into it for 20 minutes I'm, here. I'm but, only going to disappoint you know. people because I, I could be convinced either way. I'm not upset with the outcome. I, yeah, I just, totally. I just, yeah, I, I look yeah. to a very similar incident that George Russell had in Baku in recent history. Um, and there was no penalty there. And I look at that. I'm just like, that one seemed not blatant, not flagrant, but more obviously, um, it, was, it seemed more obviously, um, uh, in necessitation of a penalty and it didn't get one. And then there was this one that didn't seem as egregious, but it did get a penalty. Um, and and I, maybe we've been lucky this year that uh, the stewarding officiating has been a little bit better, or there just hasn't been circumstances um, that, that necessitated that kind of close scrutinized call. But, but yeah, I could take it or lose. I could take it or lose it, leave it. I don't know. Leave I'm it. done. I'm done. Mark, we're an <laughs> hour agree. in. Let's wrap this up. I'll kick it over to you and you can turn yeah. off the lights. Yeah, I just uh, before we go, I just want to give a shout out to uh, at Captain Four Twenty uh, Racing on Twitter X. What are we calling Twitter. it? Twitter. I will never refer to the, it the, as X. I made that very clear. <laughs> the, the the platform formerly known as Twitter, who uh, actually lives, uh, you know, one of our you know close neighbors here, who's uh, you know we we were like talking about my my internet upgrade woes, and he's going through similar upgrade issues with the same telco. So I hear you, and I I, I had a chuckle when uh, when I got that message on Twitter the the other day so anyways it's uh, i'm just glad to hear that I i'm not the, the only be one because at our party on november 18th if he's a local guy well he should be he's just up the road by monday park there he's like literally slipper distance from your place absolutely Hammy. so there you go there you go anyways uh yeah i'm, I'm gonna leave it right there we're gonna park it thank you all uh, for for coming to hang out with us uh, tonight if uh, you want to do us a solid uh, head on over to apple podcast spotify etc leave us for a uh, five-star rating review share the podcast with a friend and we'd very much appreciate it and uh, as mark mentioned uh, there's a special uh, episode dropping uh, this week with uh, hammy and charbel and uh, the the power unit uh, episode i've got a couple of things in the works that are going to drop over the summer break as well mark and i will be back as usual to talk about the usual things on the usual new show and that'll drop later this week as well and again if you want to get in touch send us a twitter or send us a message on twitter at scootery f1 pod or send us an email at scootery f1 pod at gmail.com and that's it that's a wrap have a great week everyone talk to you again soon bye for now 